This is the movie Hall of Fame, class of Hitchcock. In color. <laughs> In beautiful Technicolor. Yeah. Widescreen 3D. In Smellovision. <laughs> 4D. You can lean back on your reclining chairs and fall asleep with the popcorn in your lap. I don't like the reclining chairs. <laughs> there he is, Adam Hall. <laughs> Anti-recliners in movie theaters. Well, What a take! The problem is they incite uh, uh, sleeping. Sure. Everyone falls asleep because it's so comfy. Sure. So it's, you know, I mean, they're cool. It's nice, but like, yeah, I can't, I can't sit back and enjoy my Hitchcock in my reclining chair. <laughs> Did happen during Doctor Strange. It was late yeah. enough in the movie and I was already mentally checked out, so oh. it didn't really matter, but... Yeah. I did hear some snores going on behind me right around the time that uh, Wanda Maximoff, uh, well, I won't get into it. It's not that good a movie. Not really worth oh, no. discussing. Oh, he didn't like it. <laughs> yes. No, I think I said this to you and I said it on yeah. one of these many podcasts that we do. <laughs> it, it's, I think, by default my favorite Marvel thing in a while, but I mean, that is damning with the faintest of praise. Yeah, sure, sure. You know. I'll see. I mean, I'll see it eventually, but I don't think I'll get to seeing it in theaters. I've decided, which is fine by me. Yes. But there's not much to see right this second, but there's stuff coming out that I'm. I guess I'm very excited for. Yes. So. You, yeah. you got your Top Gun tickets ordered yet? No. No. No, I didn't order them. I'm just gonna go go to the movie. Okay. I'm just gonna go to the movie. Okay. And it's not my most anticipated movie of the year. It's just I'm gonna go see a Top Gun sequel. <laughs> I don't really like Top Gun that much, and I I don't know for some reason like I have Thursday night marked off on the calendar. You're just saying that because it looks like another Mission Impossible. Movie. Kinda, that's yeah. All, that's it. Yeah. 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 And then the, we got the trailer for Mission Impossible, uh, uh, Dead Reckoning Part One. Dead Reckoning Part One. Figure out the punctuation for me, will you? Where's the colon go? Where does the dash go? That's a good question. I think the de- it goes Mission Impossible. Dash dead reckoning mission colon impossible mission colon impossible oh god I guess right? that's right yeah mission colon impossible but that's its own contained title so it's almost like in parentheses M- mission impossible okay <laughs> mission colon impossible then we're going dash I think a dash yeah 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 dead reckoning colon colon part one part one part yeah dot one part colon <laughs> one. <laughs> I mean, they already kind of, you know, wrote themselves into the corner there by putting the colon in the very first movie. It's a (laughs) It's tough when the first movie in a series has a colon smack dab in the middle of it. Yeah, there's not much you can do about that. Right. I love titles, but like this one was a bit of a mouthful for me. I guess it's a fine title. Trailer looks good. Trailer looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'll see it. Yeah. Uh, That ticket's already pre-ordered as well for me. (laughs) I will just be completely upfront and honest. I'm just not excited. I don't feel any which way towards them. They're just movies that I will see. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I I did say to you uh, via text to this week, I, I don't really remember what the plot of these movies are. I don't really know where we are in the world of Ethan Hunt. And He stopped a bomb going off. Yeah. And, you know. Flew a couple helicopters in the process. Killed Henry Cavill's mustache. And right. And that was that. Right. That was that. But Henry Cavill got away. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Cavill coming back? No. No, no. He's very dead. He's very fucking dead. (laughs) He's not alive after that thing. Yeah. I like him in that movie. Yeah. No, me too. Me too. Quite a bit. Yeah. Everybody's good in those movies. Yeah. They're they're fine. They're they're pretty good movies. Yeah. Sean Harris is still hanging around as the, as one of the villains, right? Oh, that guy. I love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think he's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And then we still got Rebecca Ferguson. And where's Baldwin? Is dead. he dead? Remember? See what I mean? Oh, you, you were so... You were, <laughs> you were like, oh, I was so heartfelt by Alec Baldwin's death in the in the fifth movie. It really got me, Adam. Or the sixth movie, whatever the fuck it is. And I'm like, really? Really, guys? <laughs> you can't even fucking remember. <laughs> yeah, I think that perfectly summarizes my relationship to these movies. He's dead now? Yes, he's dead. Oh, I guess because he was replaced by Angela Bassett, right? Angela Bassett is now the new... Angela Bassett? I think so, right? Hmm. I think I'm thinking of Angela Bassett. I think so. Angela Bassett? I vaguely remember her being the head of the CIA. (laughs) Is that the the organization here? CIA. MI6? James Bond? (laughs) I don't care. I guess is the point. I don't care. I go to the movie. I have the best time of my life for two hours. It's like getting blackout drunk. You know what I mean? It's like (laughs) it is so much fun, but I don't remember a thing about it. That's fine. You know, but just be, you know, call it what it is. You know, I don't, I don't like it. It's a stunt show. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you go to uh, Disney World and they do the Indiana Jones show. Yes, it's a Tom Cruise exhibition, which is cool. Yeah. I just wish people would say it's a Tom Cruise exhibition. It's fine. Look at him jumping off of the, the, the cliff. Yeah. He's like, oh, cool. He's actually jumping off the cliff. Right. That's what you go to the movie for. Sweet. sweet. Totally. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, oh, he's. Movies. They, yeah. Oh, they put him in a plane. He's not actually flying the jet, but hey, he's in a, he's in a jet. He's up there in a jet. Listen, I, I don't want to spoil my thoughts too much. We're talking Hitchcock today, but there's a movie on this list that kind of fits that definition. Um, and I don't know. It's a classic. It's an all time great. And so, like, I don't know. Movies can be spectacle. Yeah, no, well, I'm cool yeah. with it. I don't think any of these are purely spectacle, though. There, there's one movie on this list in particular that the Mission Impossible movies, the James Bond James movies, Bond movies especially, owe yeah. a lot to. Yes, and I'll be honest, doing research for this, I did not remember the plot of it either. No, 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 no. I didn't. I didn't rewatch it for that. I just re- you 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 remember the set pieces, but I mean, you you to me, you also remember some of the smaller moments at the beginning and the scene in the train. I know which one you're talking about, but the yeah. scenes in the train and stuff like that. Oh, Oh, yeah, trains show yeah, up. Sure. On. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, how you doing? Have you seen anything recently? I watched Fresh, finally. Oh. Very late to that. Fresh? Yeah. Early 90s Fresh? Is no. that the one we're talking? Which Fresh are we talking about? No, we're talking about? about the one with Sebastian Stan as the cannibal. Oh, that Fresh. Yeah, yeah, that thing. I thought you meant the uh, the early Miramax picture about uh, kids growing up in the drug scene. Which is a great movie. Fresh. So I'd, I'd, it's got like Edward James almost in it or something. Yeah, Edward oh, James almost. I, I love Edward James almost. He's great. He's oh, great. You, no, but you watched the uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, Sebastian Stan, Cannibal yeah. Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> the Cannibal movie. Yeah, that's right. It was, uh, I liked it. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. a good time. But, uh, you know, that's that. <laughs> I don't know what to make of Sebastian Stan. I think he's really good in the movie, you know? Yeah, he is. Yeah, but he's not like. Uh, I mean, he could play Ted Bundy, which I think says something about his character. He's not like a, he looks a little crazy, so it kind of fits the role, but I don't know. I don't know. There's something about 
him as Winter Soldier too. Like I've always found him to be the most in- indistinguishable superhero in that whole saga. And I, I, there's just something about him that's very kind of nothing. Boring. Yeah, I think that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, boring. <laughs> Dead behind the eyes. Yes, which is why he works in the in that movie. I like it when he's playing a. Yeah, he's got bad eyes. <laughs> Huge brow. That's right. also a thing. It's a it's a funky head. <laughs> you can't be a movie star with bad eyes. That's a good point. No, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's just it, it like yeah. Everything else on paper, it's like good body, good jawline. Everything. That's true. Yeah. And then just the fucking eyes. It's like, dude, what happened here? Yeah, it's like there's something the matter with you. There was a a, a malfunction at the movie star factory. Where should he work though? Uh, <laughs> What's his what's his alternative if not acting though? Riddick, I guess. This is his like, Riddick. <laughs> Riddick. <laughs> Riddick. Just throwing out what are blind people movies? Blind. He's not blind in Riddick. He just sees he sees in the dark. His uh, eyes are hypersensitive to the light. Oh right. So it's kind of the opposite of blind. He's he can see actually, super duper well. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, sometimes when you see super well, you actually are blind. Isn't that right, <laughs> folks? Says I don't the, know what that political statement was, but it was something. Coming from the guy who got LASIK recently. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of compliments on the LASIK this week. Oh, yeah. It's like your LASIK's looking good. A lot of people <laughs> I haven't seen in a while just being like, Nico, I dig the no glasses look. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I miss the no... I miss the glasses. Yeah, I don't know. Me too, kind of. <laughs> it's kind of like my old friend that I just... That I haven't uh, That I've lost Doctor I'd like you to Fuck up my eyes Yeah (laughs) Can we reverse that (laughs) Can we Unshave me (laughs) Can you just put a lot of Shit in the way (laughs) Spackle some dirt in there Yeah yeah. Uh I watched a movie called Chippendales Colon Rescue oh, Rangers this week. Saw that. Uh well I didn't see it. I didn't go out to see it. It's on Disney Plus, so it was a nice easy stream. All right. Uh I really wanted to like it. So it's Andy Samberg uh and John Mullaney voicing Chip and Dale, and they sort of take the Roger Rabbit approach, which is that it's not a reboot of the original Disney animated series. It's sort of a meta take on these characters they you know uh Mulaney and Sandberg play the actors that play Chip and Dale in the show so it's about show business it's about movie culture there's a lot of references um unfortunately closer to Space Jam a new legacy than unbearable weight of massive talent ah. in that regard okay a lot of meta stuff coming out these days the um, multiverse stuff too is but it just sort of lends yeah, to it I don't it's know. kind of all right yeah it's mm-hmm. all we've really hit the postmodern phase of a lot of these genre movies postmodern everything everything can't get away from it yeah I liked it for a time I liked it when I was in high school but now I'm very like burnt out on the cynical shit yeah it's way better than space jam a new legacy uh, though i think i need well, that's to say fine, that man. you know it's, it's kind of an unfair comparison most things are better than space jam a new legacy yeah it was just very um overwhelming in its reference points um okay. and sometimes like you have a hard time like spotting each individual character that shows up kind of like a, a massive flex on the part of disney I'm just saying this is how much stuff we own and this is how much stuff we can buy the rights to. Right. Uh, you know, there are South Park characters that show up in this movie. 
Oh boy. Uh, there are Muppets that show up in this movie. Like there are an insane amount of, of intellectual property uh, sprinkled throughout. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I wanted more out of the sort of Lonely Island brain trust. The director of this, of course, directed Hot Rod uh, and uh, and pop star Never Stop Never Stopping, oh, Kira Schaefer. I see. Um, and yeah, I kind of I wanted something maybe more in that vein. But I appreciate the swing. Like I actually I would prefer this to I don't know the recent Cinderella reboots or <laughs> you know Maleficent sequels. Okay. And, you know what I mean? Like this is kind of. In the vein of what I want, but it's not exactly what I want. All right. I mean, I guess I'm for now. I'm just happy with turning red. I'll take turning red. Yeah. For what it's worth. Yeah. Ta- I mean, not intellectual property, but you know. Yeah. I get. I don't know. I don't know what I want out of like an special intellectual property stuff, other than to make just new stories. I guess. Yeah. I don't. I don't. The postmodern stuff too. It's just. It's kind of boring to me. I don't know. It's the same shtick, isn't it? Yeah. It, Especially because a lot of these jokes are so obviously uh, points of nostalgia for people, and that's really the main thing they're trying to do here is 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 uh, pull at your heartstrings a little bit. Were you a big Chip and Dale fan? No, not really. But th- <laughs> uh, there are a lot of characters that I was a very big fan of in various other shows and movies and things. They're not the spotlight of the movie, I'm sure. No, and that's sort of what I mean, though. A lot of these references are kind of empty. And okay, there's. You know, they're making fun of themselves, and I appreciate that. There are, you know, some crude jokes and some winks and nods at the adults in the crowd. But uh, for the most part, it's like they're they're it's the it's the most cynical way to sort of do something like this. Um, Again, I kind of felt that way about some of the things in Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, too, where it's like, okay, you're making the joke, but you really don't know what the joke means. It's like you're making fun of Paddington 2 without really capturing what's so great about Paddington 2. Um, and that's kind of what I, I what I felt like here. It's like he, Disney gave them a, a Sears catalog of every character that they could use. <laughs> and they just sort of put him in there for one line and then it's over with. Is is the Predator in there? I, I did not spot the Predator. No alien? Did not spot the Xenomorph, No. Did not. Ugly Sonic is in there, though. What? Ugly Sonic. Like the original Sonic? He finally made it into a movie? The the (laughs) pre-reshoot Sonic, yeah, is in there. Now I kind of want to see the movie. (laughs) (laughs) The villain of the movie, I I don't want to spoil it, will shock you. It will shock you. There is a character from years past... A very long time ago in the annals of Disney mythology. And he is the villain in the movie. And it is a crazier twist than the twist in Doctor Strange. All right. Do it I, is nuts. Do I know who this villain is? Yes, you do. I do. And he was not always a villain. Uh, <laughs> has he been a villain prior no. to this movie? No. No. Oh. You might like the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like... <laughs> I, 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 can I, can I, I, should I tell you? Yeah, sure. I'll bleep it. Bleep it. I'll just say, it. don't like repeat it back. Just like, yeah. You know. Okay, okay, I got you. <laughs> what? It's Chip what? and Dale Rescue Ranger. <laughs> 
What do they have against that guy? Uh, <laughs> just watch it. Uh, I also watched Michael Bay's Ambulance. Uh, oh, yeah. Don't want to go too far into this, but Bay is back. Bay is back. Bayham has Bay never him. been uh, more chaotic and in your face. All right. Uh so fucking entertaining this movie oh, it, look, it looked fun so entertaining and like obviously a lot of it is the bay of it all and <laughs> his use of drones which are insane <laughs> like if you're anything like me and I know you are like me in this regard you're annoyed by drone shots Dep- depends Dep- yes yeah I'm, I'm annoyed by like filmmakers our age and their insistence to use them because it's like a look at how cool our crane shot is even though it's the most unnecessary fucking thing imaginable right and they're establishing shots that really don't tell you anything no. about what's happening no and it's fr- and you you always know it's a drone shot there's just something about the way it moves the way it stays steady the fact that it's up really high and it's just like i yeah i, I get nothing out Here's of this random image. town usa yeah the reason there the the moment that the drone shot jumped the shark for me was when curb your enthusiasm returned from a high from like a seven year hiatus uh, and back on HBO and clearly they had given Larry this massive budget to work with Mm. and the first shot of the first episode of whatever season that was includes a drone shot going into Larry David's mansion oh yeah and I thought to myself I'm like is there a less necessary application of this technology than this moment right now yep 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 I heard it's just antithetical to you know what we're doing here it's not curb not curb right what i will say though is bay figures it out (laughs) he cracks the code and there are well i didn't necessarily hear that that's entirely true well i'm i'm telling you that it's true there are there are scenes where the drones scale sides of buildings and then plummet from the top of them just as a way of like establishing where the action is <laughs> it's amazing it's 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 incredible stuff well i hear you're either going to fall onto you're either going to think that the drones are amazing or you're going to be like why are they doing this it made me go wee as uh, it was happening it was I one see. of those things like i was it was the closest to a, an amusement park ride oh i see you know marty scorsese uses that term disparagingly to talk about marvel movies but i actually felt like this is an amusement park ride. That was the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. Yeah. No. I. It's. A, I will. I will be seeing it at some point. But, yeah. Also, Jakey. Oh, Jakey. <laughs> Jakey. You know, you can't drive ambulances for that long. They don't have that much gas. <laughs> um. Bay found his uh, Toshiro Mifune, you know, with Jake Gyllenhaal. He yeah. hasn't used him in anything. I know, but <laughs> what do you mean? we're finally <laughs> you here. Don't, you don't have your Toshiro Mifune until you have like 12 films. No, but you. I know. But now every Bay movie has to include Jake has Gyllenhaal. To include him. I see. I see. Because Gyllenhaal is the first guy to understand like the only way to to uh, have a coherent performance in a Michael Bay movie is to snort pounds and pounds of cocaine <laughs> ahead of time. Yep. Yeah, yeah and he's figured it out and okay. it's like shia labeouf is here just like that's true. being like a dorky kid and yeah Wahlberg is in those uh whatever uh those other transformers movies and... come a long way from that yeah. yeah well i'll tell you who figured it out cage I, yeah i guess so that's cage right. figured it out on the rock and then bay never worked with cage again and now here's Jake, who I think has sort of assumed the mantle of, oh, of movie star that is willing to just fucking go for it. Okay, I'm, I don't, I don't really like The Rock, but <laughs> The Rock's awesome. Yeah, yeah. don't shit on The Rock. Yeah. Masterpiece of the movie. <laughs> this might be his best, though. This is his best. Might be. 
I guess Bad Boys. I guess Bad Boys, yeah. I don't know. What would you say is Michael Bay's best movie? Probably Bad Boys, but like, yeah, that's what he deserves, though. This first film it never got better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he got better. All right. He's back. I can't believe he's back. He's back. We've lived long enough. To see Michael Bay come back. Yeah. Never thought he would. He needed to get get away from those fucking Transformers movies. You know? Yeah, he's he's just been in Mattel land for five years. Yeah. <clears throat> or for more than that, five movies, 15 I years. Never saw Six Underground. Apparently it was terrible. I've heard that. Yeah, absolutely that. terrible. Yeah. So. Believe the hype with Ambulance. All right. Believe the hype. All right, Hitchcock. Speaking of Master Auteurs. Master Auteur. Oh, yeah. Master Auteur, Michael Bay, right next to Master Auteur, Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. We are doing a uh, a three-part pod. It, it's going to cover the next uh, month or so of Movie <laughs> Hall of Fame. So buckle in. Mm. We decided to finally rip the Band-Aid off here, and we are going to cover the entire career of Alfred Hitchcock in in uh, some way, shape, or form. Um, Hitchcock. What about him? <laughs> good director. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good director. What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> this is the trouble with with covering someone like this. And uh, we, we've run into this problem in the past. It's like, what more can be said? Yeah. About a guy like Hitchcock, a guy that with the exception of maybe Stanley Kubrick, and I, I don't even think that's an exception, has been written about more than any person yeah. in the history of film. I think Hitchcock's been written about much more than Kubrick, yeah. frankly. You know, one of the most studied filmmakers of a, for you know ever you know that is partially attributed to Francois Truffaut. Yeah. So you you, you kind of do need that ingredient because he was one of the first guys that says let's start looking at this guy because there's something really interesting special to his craft and it's entirely his eye here, guys. And there's you know this is something that we should study in order to make great films ourselves. And that's where you get the you know uh, Hitchcock Truffaut book, which is very interesting. I've never um, read it. Yeah, I mean you you can watch the movie. Okay. You just, you know, have you the, seen the movie? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, the movie's wonderful. Uh, again, it was another thing that sort of came up in my research. It's uh, movie's phenomenal. Absolutely. One, one of my favorite docs. But I just realized, like, man, I have to read that fucking book. Because it's yeah. one of those things you hear all these, like, urban legends and things that come from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the you know, an interview thing where it's just, he's just chatting with Hitchcock, like, asking, asking about his craft and basically making the point that, yeah, this is why this guy's a genius. That's the whole point of that book, basically. Right. And it's... Well, and also... So not only he is the primary architect of a language that now we take for granted yep. as the language of cinema, yep. right? But you can actually, by watching his career unfold from the 20s in Britain to, you know, the Technicolor era yeah. of Hollywood in the late 60s, like, you can see the language of film being written. Yes. You, would, it's like watching the Rosetta Stone, you know, come to life, essentially. It's true, but there is a consistency with Hitchcock, too. It's like his insistence on being who he is throughout his era. Like, like there's not that much different from, like, like I mean, in terms of quality, I guess you could say, but there's not that much different from Vertigo, from, like, Psycho, or, like, even further on with Marnie. Like, the, it's very, very clear that he's using the same tricks that he was using way back then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just for different stories. So that's why it feels different. Right. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to watch to watch all of these movies where it's like, you know, I he's another one of those filmmakers where it's like they it's sort of unmistakably him. And I kind of he was the first guy. The first. Yeah. That you could say that about. Well, that. Well, I mean, the, 
there's probably something you could say about uh, uh, some of the earlier Japanese filmmakers and some French filmmakers as well. But the German expressionism, sure, too, I guess, yeah. But but Truffaut, you know, introduces this idea, and you know, he kind of births the auteur theory and stuff like that, all through you know just his conversations with Hitchcock. Yeah, and you know, and and it makes sense when you look at his films and you see the consistency that flows throughout all of them. And I'm very curious to see what his earliest work looks like with the British films. I've never really dove into those movies. Me neither. Um, you know, I've, I've watched all of the the classics, all of the, or I guess the, you know, the American classics, the classics that our film professors told us were sure. the best movies. Um, yeah, I am curious. We're, we're sort of working our way back here. This yeah. is a three-part series. We are starting with color Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, we're then going to black and white Hitchcock. And then we're going to British Hitchcock. Which was essentially everything before Rebecca. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a fun one. Yeah, I know. It's this is this is a learning experience for us. You know, yeah. well, many of these I have seen already. A few, only one on this list we're doing that I did not see. Me prior. too. Just the one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to look at this guy. But yeah. I, I keep I keep, this is one of those guys too talking about him with like my friends in, in, in college and it was always funny how some so many people were sort of split on their feelings towards him really I didn't have yeah I didn't have a lot of friends that like I bonded over with like Hitchcock I even had some that were somewhat critical of him for some reason what was your relationship to him growing up were these movies that were on in your house a lot or was this something you had to seek out when you went to college or like uh, I was only familiar with uh, Psycho and the Birds, which yeah. I liked, and I, I still like to this day. I mean, Psycho's you know maybe my favorite. Right, it's like that and Notorious. Maybe Strangers on a Train. Those yeah. are my three. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I, I saw all of these with the exception of one in college because I was like, yeah, you know, I just gotta, I gotta, you know get myself a little more Hitchcock literate here yes. and it was it was a heck of a journey but it was interesting how I never felt like I left his headspace and it was one of the things I'll say about Hitchcock too is that like I, I this might prove different when I see his his British films but there is a very clear point for me where he does kind of like stop he doesn't evolve much if I'm being huh. honest, yeah. not in a bad way, but he very, very clearly figures out like what his language is, or at least how he's going to use the language at a certain point. Right. And it's beautiful when he figures that out. Um, and I've said this in the past with, with, with other podcasts when we've talked about the guy, but he's sort of regretted not experimenting more. Yes. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's, that's dead on because he was the one guy from that generation that really had the power to do that if you wanted to. And no one else could get away with what he could get right. away. No one that's, could, and, that's and one of the he more fascinating Yeah, and he yeah. didn't really use his power for that. You no. know what I mean? Like, you know, you had guys like John Cassavetes who who grew up in the you know late 60s, early 70s that are pushing the boundaries on shoestring budgets. And here he is with all the money in the world um, and just doing all of these paycheck jobs based on, you know, plays and novels and things like that. And he's working with the biggest movie stars that money can buy. And you're right. He kind of just keeps making Hitchcock movies. Yep. Now, those movies just by virtue of the fact they're directed by Alfred Hitchcock go on to change movies <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah. So like, I don't think he's, he was, he wasn't thinking at the time, man, psycho is going to invent a whole genre of horror. He's yeah. not thinking that at the time, but he does because he's so great at what he does. Um, but yeah, you, you, you think to yourself, man, what if this guy just decided to make like a, a quiet character study? 
you know? Which he uh, sort of does with one of these movies. The most ambitious movie... uh, This is the funny thing I'll say about this. Even the most ambitious, like, like out-there movies for him on this list is still, like, unmistakably Hitchcock. It's, It's like he can't help himself to, like pull those 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 cues with like the close-ups on like the hair or or like like the clothing and stuff like that it's it's and just sort of the really dramatic shots like, zooming down and so you you know what i'm talking about but um, I, I do i have a pretty good idea <laughs> th- th- that to me is the closest he ever got by like going really weird and experimental and very meta in his in what he's actually talking totally. about in that movie totally but even still, it's like, oh, it's such a fucking Hitchcock movie. It's such right. a fucking Hitchcock movie. It's like you're playing the same yeah, exactly. trick, you exactly. fucking bastard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> well, he would say that all the time. I, 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 he enjoyed playing his audience. Yes. He, he enjoyed taking the notes that he'd learned through a career in cinema mm-hmm. and using them just to poke and prod, you know? Yep. Yep. He's not really trying to educate. He's not really trying to move in a particularly emotional way. He's trying to trick you. And yep. he, he sees cinema as kind of the ultimate magic trick. Yep. He's playing with you. He's right. playing. Yeah. Right. But entertaining. He's an entertainer. Entertainer first and foremost. That's the other distinction that you have to make. It's like, right. He's he's not. He doesn't have the benefit of hindsight, which is all these guys come after him and, you know, decide they're going to say something with their movies. Yep. And yeah, he was making what at the time was considered a very cheap, accessible art form. And it wasn't really even thought of as an art form. And it certainly wasn't thought of as an art form with a singular artist at the center of it. Well, no. And that's why Truffaut came in because he recognized that there was something really special going on here and that only an artist could pull off what, what is going on here. Right. And I, yeah, you're right. I'm not sure what Hitchcock thought of his movies leading up to that point. Um, But what you do find out when you look at those interviews is like, Oh God, this guy is really intelligent, and he's the, everything he's doing here is super, super considered. And there's a thematic significance to just this thing and that thing and that. Like, oh, the subtext that he that you right imagine but, is something that was developed years and years afterwards yeah. as guys are writing scholarly articles. It's like no, that was no, that, that was, was all the, there. That was that the was point. All the always the point. This right? is this is one of those instances where the, yeah, the guy had it figured out and at the same time that's sort of the biggest criticism of the guy is this idea that his movies are not really i won't even say lived in experiences but there there's something so knowable about them oh yeah and something so considered and 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 staged about them yeah in a way that like years later you're not really reading into okay what is what is the key in the hand really symbolize about man's relationship to woman or about, you know, Cold War politics or about w- World War II America? Like, yeah. there's not a lot of that stuff. Whereas you look at, you know, Stanley Kubrick's movies and there's nothing but that. You yeah. watch the Shining documentary, Room 237, <laughs> and it's like th- those things are, you know, there's so much there there and there's so much room for interpretation and there's so much room to like, you know, for imagination and exploration. Whereas his movies, it's like, no, th- the way that he intended them to be received is the way that they were received. There's not a lot of misunderstood Hitchcock <laughs> movies. No. There's a lot of movies that at the time they weren't like beloved by critics but he's so good at what he does it's almost like it's 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 hard to make a connection with him in that way i know that's what tarantino always says about him it's like he comes away from them feeling cold which is fine i get it i see what he's talking about i don't and that's the thing i don't totally blame people for not getting it not being totally in it that's kind of how i felt about marnie 
frankly. Sure. Um, Me which, too. Which yeah. isn't a bad movie, but like it's yeah. the, it's the one where it's like Hitchcock just doesn't work for this material. Sure. In my opinion. Right. Uh, but even still, you got to appreciate what he's going for behind the camera. And that even though it's like I'm not sure like this. Uh, these moves are right for this story. I'm definitely affected by this in, at the very least. So, yeah. you know, he has that power. So, right. And I mean, maybe that's all films ever about just, you know, giving that to the audience. Yeah. Uh, good filmmaker. <laughs> he's okay. He's pretty he's, good. He's yeah, it's just okay. Decent. <laughs> uh, the five <laughs> movies nominated uh, for induction into the movie hall of fame today are five of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> we're going to have to pick one. I just <laughs> don't know how we're going to do that, but we're going to do it. Uh, Rope from 1948. Rear Window from 1959. The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1956. Vertigo from 1958. And North by Northwest from 1959. All of these movies uh, made within an 11 year span. I was looking at the dates. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? James Cameron. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, Falls in your court, my guy. It takes him 12 years to make a movie. Not one of those. A, fucking, a shit movie, not by the way. One of those a movie av- that I'm pretty confident is going to be that, shit. That's what I'm saying. Not one of those Avatar sequels is going to be anywhere near as good as these. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's working on these movies, you know, in between, uh, you know, the post-production process of other movies. Yeah. Uh, he's working on the script of uh, Man Who Wasn't There on the set of Rear Window. It's like all. it's all sort of happening at once and it's just it's crazy it's amazing it's amazing it's, it's really amazing it's amazing uh, i did want to mention the other color movies that did not make it onto the list uh 1949's under capricorn 1954's dial m for murder a movie that we discussed previously uh on the show i think is good i'm not it's fine i i, I kind of find it a little too stagey it, um, it's one it's a one room sort of thing it's you know it's fine yeah it's not bad it's one of it consider one of his greats but it is i'm I'm kind of in the minority on that i think yeah. uh 1955 to catch a thief uh also 1955 is the trouble with harry a movie i haven't seen I've but seen. i am super curious about it's one of his like only pure comedies okay yeah i've never seen one of well yeah, I guess I haven't seen one. Yeah. yeah, it's more it's more of like a screwball kind of satire. Uh, the Birds from 63, discussed previously, didn't really feel the need to talk about again. Same goes for Marnie from 64. Uh, Torn Curtain from 1966. Topaz from 1969. Frenzy from 1972. And Family Plot from 1976. Those last four movies um, made after Marnie kind of considered his... Uh, over the hill period yes yeah but i'm curious to watch i'm curious to watch frenzy yeah frenzy's another one that's like yeah give it a shot we may get a chance in maybe. a future pot maybe but for the meantime here we are talking rope <laughs> uh starring james stewart john Dahl, and farley granger by the way james stewart in four of these five movies yeah we're talking about today you wanted to share mafune here it is here it is yeah. nominated for zero oscars <laughs> is 1948's rope two men attempt to prove they committed the perfect crime by hosting a dinner party after strangling their former classmate to death <laughs> <laughs> that's the start of the movie <laughs> the guest who's dead on time 
<laughs> I love it. You're doing that for all these movies now, aren't you? I am. You son of a bitch. Good tagline. Good tagline. Yeah. Uh, this is based on a play by Patrick Hamilton. Uh, the, the, the play, I believe, is called Rope's End. It was a British play, loosely inspired by the story of uh, University of Chicago students Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. Uh, the 1924 case of uh, two uh, homosexual college students uh, who, in order to prove their superiority, murdered a 14-year-old boy, uh, inspired uh, you know many uh, film adaptations and written adaptations. This story was just referenced in the mid-season finale of Better Call Saul. It was? When a character calls two other characters, Leopold and... Loeb, two uh, psychopaths. Wow. Yeah. Neat. 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 Uh, this movie, yeah, again, so again, was made into a play. The uh, the European play was, I think, more explicitly about the homosexual relationship between the mm. two of them. Um, I, I think it was not just implied, it was stated that these two were gay lovers, this movie does not do that so much. This movie, it's all implied. But what I was shocked to find out, reading and, and researching about this movie, um, is that it was all there in 1948. You know, you're not just reading into it if, if now you look at it from a, a gay lens. It, it is uh, very much in the DNA of the script. The writer uh, of the movie, whose name is Arthur uh, Lawrence... Um, explicitly said that like yes we had to sort of tone down some of the sexual elements for American audiences and there were a lot of protests at the time the movie got banned from several theaters because of it um, Rope talk to me oh wow Rope yeah it's uh, it's like not talked about enough which is very shocking to me um, I saw it in college you know I actually wasn't really looking forward to it which I found very because I, I think I'd seen a lot of uh, Hitchcock prior and I'm like this one was the the least iconic of all of them so I'm just like all right we're just gonna watch another one um kind of blown away by it though <laughs> upon watching it it's like the greatest example that he's ever done of like the bomb under the desk it uh, is the best bomb under the table yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not of, a bomb though it's a body right, of a body it's in a, a crate bomb. yes uh it's just brutal and fucking nihilistic at times and really upsetting it's like really you, upsetting when you start the movie and these guys they just you start the movie they, they they've just killed the guy they still have him and they are like, strangling, strangling him, him. Yeah. yeah yeah and like the lack the, the the interesting thing about the movie is that like nothing happens yeah nothing happens conversations happen there are plenty of conversations and that's where the drama comes in but the boiling of the water <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's ever done it better with the exception of, I don't know, maybe the key, Notorious, but like, this is... Uh, yeah, I think, yes, that would be the only other example, I think. Classic example, but like, this whole movie is built around that concept of... The, the idea of suspense over surprise. Yeah, the surprise is the monster that's slowly approaching throughout the movie, which ends up being J uh, Jimmy Stewart, you know, realizing what happened, and... Uh, just watching the mystery show itself in front of you because it's shot to look like one take, which is also extremely surprising. And it's another one of those instances where as it's going along, I'm like, 
what, what how are they doing this yeah. and it, some of the cuts are a little more obvious than others but I'm just like well now well, you look at it you've yeah. seen 1917 or whatever like we've seen Birdman a lot yeah. of movies that employ the tricks that he was developing in this movie and it's yeah. yeah of course I mean when a camera zooms in on a person's backside for no reason like that's probably to cover up a cut yeah. but uh yeah it's yeah it it, it is uh meant to to simulate the experience of a single take i i believe there are a total of 10 shots in the movie 10 takes in the movie and all of them range from four minutes to a little over 10 minutes which was the maximum amount of time that um, a camera magazine or projector reel could hold it's a lot of film um and what was crazy to me is that Hitchcock at the time, when they asked him about this, he was like, yeah, it was just kind of a stunt. It was just kind of a gimmick and it didn't really work. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, I watched uh, there, there was a behind the scenes documentary on on YouTube that I think was part of a Criterion release or something. And I watched it and it was mostly Arthur uh, Lawrence talking about, you know, the the. The homosexual undertones and the entire making of the movie and he's like yeah you know I, I didn't really like that we showed the killing at the beginning because it kind of took the tension out of the movie and I didn't like the single take it was more of a gimmick it was kind of distracting and he's listing all these things and it's like that's why the movie's a fucking masterpiece yeah, what say. are you talking about Roger Ebert's like two star review was like it was a gimmick that didn't really work at the time but it was a good experiment what is that? What is happening? What, what do they, they mean? What, what lens are they watching it from? Because, okay, I see a version where you don't know what happened at the beginning, but it's not shot this way. The, the, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know, but the, 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 there's something about the, the, the inevitability with that single take that makes it kind of work for me. I don't know. Yeah, what's wrong with that? No, it's the idea of the ticking clock. It's it's It exactly, never stops, is it, what I'm saying. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. Like, the second you cut away, then... I, my attention is shifted elsewhere, but it, it's anxiety inducing too. Right. That's part of the point. I, I, yeah, you know, it could, but that's, that's the thing though. Could you imagine trying the single take without showing the body? It's like, well, what are they doing this for? Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah it would just sort of play like televised theater. It's all because the entire time you're watching, you're like, okay, let's cut. Let's let, let's get the fuck out of here. Right. Sure. That's kind of the, the similar kind of bubbling sensation that happens when you watch it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think his point was like, it would have been more interesting if we didn't know if there was a body in there and it was sort of talked about hypothetically. I can see that working, but it's a different movie. It's a different, right, exactly. This is the movie that they made yeah. and it's like, I don't know, I think one of his best. I it's love great. this movie. It's fantastic. Like one of the, it, I think by far the biggest surprise of all of the Hitchcock films that I saw. I think his most underrated and it's not close. Yeah. Yeah, probably. You know, th I, this I should be one of his iconic ones. Dial M for Murder is thought of as a better version of this. And I, I totally disagree. No. Like, to me, Dial M for Murder is the very stagey uh, PBS Presents Masterpiece Theater. You know, here here is a production of Dial M for Murder. Whereas this doesn't ever feel like a play to me. There is something very cinematic about this. Yes, there is. Yeah, strangely, even though, like, it is just one set and that's it. But it actually kind of works as this really enthralling cinematic experience, even in the conversations, which are horrifying. Yeah. That's part of the, the, the brilliance of this movie. Is, again, that script is just 
so disturbing when they get down to the nitty gritties about like why they did what they did and sort of their strange glee and how they got off to it. It's just like, what is this? And how Stuart is sort of reckoning with his culpability. Yeah, that stuff is so good. People say that Stuart wasn't great in this. One of the criticisms from Stuart himself is that he was miscast. Are you kidding me? Um, Jimmy Stuart later said that it was the one movie he made with Hitchcock that he did not like. He thought he was miscast as the professor um, and, uh, yeah, playing against type. Oh, wow. A cynical, everyday man professor. Haven't seen those before. Yeah. It, it's like, I don't know. I think that's, kind of the, that's the brilliance Perfect. of the movie. It's that it's Jimmy Stewart playing this guy, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, isn't that... I love how this is not, this is us like defending <laughs> rope. Yeah, from seventy year old reviews. I didn't realize the movie was so hated though. It's like it's great stuff. I think now it's considered now it's a masterpiece, great. but at the time it's like all of these what even Ebert's writing about it in the eighties. Yeah, that's like, the thing. Yeah, like this didn't work. Hmm. It's like I'm in Bizarro land. What am I watching here? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's excellent. Yeah, um yeah, hundred percent what you said, right? It it's the the bomb under the bomb going off is surprised the bomb under the table not knowing when it's going to go off is the suspense and uh, this movie is sort of an elongated demonstration of that principle and mixed in there is some of the dirtiest uh, uh, most cynical ideas in all of Hitchcock's oeuvre you know yes yeah the most probably strangely maybe the most upsetting in that way with its thematic elements aside from potentially one other but you kind of an exploitation movie yeah yeah bordering I, on it you have to be a certain kind of person to understand to 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 you know find the other the other movie the other movie cynical ideas as uh um as disturbing as they are but yeah this might be the the most bleak strangely yeah oh yeah i might agree yeah yeah i mean again it's as you said it starts with the strangulation yeah, yeah. in media res um and at the time, it was incredibly controversial for all of those reasons. Uh, I think the the gay stuff is really interesting. I, I didn't know that it was like so explicitly defined um, in the 40s when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was apparently at the time referred to as it. I'm talking about the sexual undertones of it. Uh, uh, Hitchcock in the studio never acknowledged it. <laughs> they yeah. just called it it in in hushed tones. Uh, apparently, it played a lot better in Europe for that reason. Okay. Um, but like, I, I've always found that dynamic super interesting, and mm-hmm. that between the two killers, that is not a dynamic that exists in any other Hitchcock movie, and no, it's not really going to appear in any mainstream movies until what the nineties with like Natural Born Killers or something. Oh God, I guess. But even still, where is it? It's not that. It's not that frequent. Yeah, not that frequent. What's a? What's? Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of many examples. Funny Games, I guess, has similar killers at the center. But but the sexual undertones are not as no. clearly defined in that one. Right. I mean, that one has nothing to do with sexuality. That's more about horror films and Americans' relationship to horror films. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It's it's. Yeah, it's certainly the only film I can think of off the top of my head that Hitchcock has done that with. I guess maybe De Palma has tried it a few times in a way. Yeah. Sort of an extension of some of those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. I think it's great. It's great. I yes. think it's fucking great. I, I Like you, I watched it uh, not too long ago. I think I, I, I told you when you, I watched it. This was like maybe two or three years ago. 
Um, and it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. And yeah. it, it's, it's I, I think, at the very top of the list for me. It could be a top five Hitchcock movie of all time for me. It's up there. Yeah. So top 10 for me. You know, I, I always try to say top 10 because I don't know. You know, top five is a hell of a statement. It is. But it's really good. It's It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think my. Th- yeah. What What are your three? This is a good question, though, because I, I think my favorite is still personal. I'm not sure it's his best film, but my personal favorite, I think, is Strangers on a Train, Psycho, uh, Notorious. Vertigo, yeah. Vertigo. Um, oh boy. And then maybe rear window. Yeah. Rear window. I mean, we're coming up to that, but (laughs) really getting to this fucking Christ. (laughs) You're probably right. It's probably not top five. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of room. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Not a lot of room on that list. Like his heights are really high, man. Jesus. I think when we're done with this, we need to, we need to unfurl our rankings here (laughs) at the end of this three parter. I think we need to really sit down and try to do this. I don't know what it is. I don't, but my least favorite though, that's a, that's a, that's a harder question. Almost. Yes. That is a harder. I haven't seen a lot of the quote unquote bad Bad ones ones, though. I I haven't seen them either. Yeah. Oddly enough that for me, the birds was always the one that I didn't really get the movie that if we're talking about it in, in those terms where it's like, of his canonical movies, which is the one that's not for you, that is the one that's Strange. not for me. Okay. okay you know? Okay. Because I'm sure I wouldn't I wouldn't love Torn Curtain if I saw it, you know, or I wouldn't <laughs> love whatever, but... All right. Um, well, yeah. I guess we'll figure that out. Yeah. I guess we will. Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's move on. 1954's Rear Window. Starring, once again, James Stewart, Grace Kelly, oh, Grace Kelly, mm. and Wendell Corey. Nominated for Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound. A wheelchair-bound photographer spies on his neighbors from his Greenwich Village courtyard apartment window and becomes convinced one of them has committed murder, despite the skepticism of his fashion model girlfriend. (laughs) Suspense of screaming proportions. Yeah. Yeah. All caps. On the poster. Suspense of screaming proportions. <laughs> uh, rear window. We talked about it already. What can really be said other than this is one of the great movies ever made? Yeah. Uh, talk to me. And it's been done to death. And it's a very, very, very well-known story. Uh, has it ever been done better? No, I, obviously I, not. I feel like... I. This is one of the great movies ever made, but I would love to see like a modern take on this. There is a remake from like the yeah. early 2000s with yeah. Christopher Reeve and Daryl Hannah. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet. It's a TV movie. I know. I haven't tried it yet. I, I was stunned to find this out. I have <laughs> they made a TV movie version. I will admit I've seen the opening like 10 minutes of it and I, I quit. Yeah. Well, I mean, they went method, I guess, with Christopher Reeve. (laughs) Was that mean? That was not very nice. (laughs) That was mean. (laughs) Well, you know, kind of the role he was born to play in many ways. (laughs) We we can skimp on the wheelchair budget. He's already got him. (laughs) That's so horrible. <laughs> yeah, he's uh yeah. I gotta watch that. Jesus I Christ. I gotta watch that movie. Anyway. You're not a big Disturbia fan? 
It's I like Disturbia enough. I kind of like it enough too. It's want, not awful. It's it's kind of dumb, but like I I saw it a couple of years ago. Like this is entertaining enough. It's fun. yeah 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 yeah. It's fine. Okay. A Woman in the Window with Amy Adams from last year is not very good. That's sort of a rear window take. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch. Yeah. There's a ton of these, but they've never been done better. No, and De Palma tried, man. De, De Palma tried with like body double and shit. Like a lot of his movies are about voyeurism mm-hmm. and uh, about our like very predatory relationship with the people on screen. I mean, I sort of see this movie as a movie about watching movies because sort of yeah, you know, the, the idea that like all movies are voyeuristic because we are not participating in the action taking place on screen. We are sort of privy to the details that we shouldn't be privy to. Yep. Um, and, you know, like that idea, um, I think is like so powerful and like such an interesting uh, yeah, thing to explore yep. on the big screen. Like this, this question of like, well, you know, you're asking why Jimmy Stewart is watching, but why are you watching? Why are you so interested in when this woman takes her top off? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you so interested I, in watching these people at their lowest moments? Like, that's right. what is it about you in the audience, you pervert, that compels you to come to the cinema and see things you're not supposed to see? <laughs> I wish I could quote it. We come here for joy, Nico. <laughs> Nico, did you know that somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like that? <laughs> All rise. <laughs> just, just to see Jimmy Stewart. Dazzling images on a large silver screen. It's Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 That's the thing. At least put like E.T. on yeah, there, you know? I, I know, I know. <laughs> I will be seeing that one with my with my brother and my dad. Jurassic World? Yeah. Where do you uh, fall on the um, the age gap debate from the original uh, Jurassic World? Because Laura Dern recently came out and said that the age gap between her and Sam Neill when they shot that movie was inappropriate. Where do you stand on that? Huh? Yeah, where do you stand on that? What do you mean? Old- Have you always been troubled by that age gap? What, what, how old was she in that? I don't know. She's like 20-something, 20 Two, twenty-three, maybe. Was her character that old? I, I don't know, but they don't specify. Laura Dern felt the need to write that wrong this week, and I was very like, "Really, uh, we're Jurassic World, <laughs> we're Jurassic Park?" You know, you don't. You really gonna fight Spielberg on this one? I got a couple Woody Allen movies to show you. Oh, before yeah, we started like litigating. How about that Manhattan? Let's talk about Manhattan for a second. Yeah, uh, I never thought. Uh, one way or the other about it. Me neither. Just, just gonna be honest with I, you. I, I'm with you. Never occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, okay, Ray Window, talk to me. Uh, <laughs> um, I yeah, I love it. I love it. Of course I love it. It's Rear Window. How could you not love it? Because this premise is fucking perfect. It is a perfect premise. It is inherently interesting and compelling. And I mean, well, I think part of the the appeal to it is like this is sort of a primal thing that people just understand. I mean, we've all been there, man, when it comes to just like looking out your bedroom window and just checking stuff out, you know, looking at nothing. And then you look at your neighbor's house and then you squint a little bit. What are they up to over there? They could just be throwing a bonfire or something, but you're still... 
mm-hmm. what's going to happen around that bonfire mm-hmm. and this is just the most amplified version of that idea where you search for the drama it is a it, uh, unintentionally like a precursor to clue in that way it's just like here are all the players there is one very important one that matters more than all the other, th- and then the rest is just red herrings. Mm. But it's about like sifting through that puzzle, and I mean, it's not really a puzzle because you, you know he guides you in that direction. But but it's one, it's it's just wonderful to kind of sit there with Jimmy Stewart and figure it out or feel like you're figuring it out. Yeah, kind of about our need to uh, write narratives too. Yeah, where they don't exist. Yeah, you know, in this case, Jimmy Stewart is proven right, but uh, he didn't need to go down this path. Is the interesting thing? Certainly seems like yeah. he could have been proven wrong several times. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, it's about like our our need to yeah ascribe drama to the to the average lives of other people. Yeah, it's not cynical about it. Like this is again, this is. You know, you know, the best kind of popcorn entertainment, but it is like a thriller through and through that, you know, has more going on psychologically than you would have initially given it credit for. Totally. Uh, Very much like a New York movie, even though it was (laughs) shot on an L.A. soundstage and this elaborate soundstage that they built. But uh, is, I think, a a beautiful encapsulation of what loneliness does to a guy when he lives in a city and he's confined to a wheelchair. Um, You know, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of just like curiosity and nosiness and uh poking your your head in where it doesn't belong and um it's yeah it is the ultimate encapsulation of all of those themes that now kind of seem trite that's the thing about talking about this movie is that like everything like it's, yeah, i'm like saying all these things and they're obvious a, yeah right? it's like we, we this this but it's a template i mean this is a movie that started a lot of those ideas or at least made them you know it set the precedent for what was going to come for sure um yeah i've seen so many movies tackle all these things but it's you know Maybe, maybe I haven't seen as many tackle them in this sort of thriller format here, you know, sort of heightening the loneliness when everything going on out there is kind of nuts. Yeah, So right. And I think we definitely talked about this last time. The movie doesn't leave that room. No. And um, like some some movies are uh, movies that feel like plays. Uh, this movie feels like a play that demanded to be a movie because <laughs> you can't make this. I've seen them do it. Strangely, there are plays of this movie. It doesn't make any sense to me. Right. I don't understand that at all because right. it's all about perspective. Totally. I mean, yeah, cinema is sort of, a, it's about, yeah, where the director yeah. puts the camera and, and who you're supposed to sympathize with. And yeah, there's there's something uh there's something objective about this. There's nothing subjective about this material and plays sort of have to be subjective in some way. They have to sort of have this omnipotent, you know, eye of God point of view because like the a play can't tell you where to look. You're just sort of going to look. Um, this movie puts you in the shoes of Jimmy Stewart. And although it takes place in one location, although it's limited storytelling in that way, it is super fucking cinematic and the way that Hitchcock is able to squeeze every ounce of cinema. Yes. Out of pretty basic shots, you know? Oh yeah. They're very simple, but it's all about like what he's capturing. Would you say it's objective or subjective? I no, I think this movie is subjective. Yeah, yeah that's what Sub- I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Al- although it it looks like it would be objective. No, not at know? all. Yeah. And we'll get we'll get that's the case with a lot of Hitchcock films though. It kind of proves the point of like his auteur theory tendencies. Not a lot of his films are 
objective. They're very totally him. We'll get to one that is disgustingly him. Yes, my favorite on this list. But it's just like, yeah, yeah. You, you, you. <laughs> we understand like the the allure and the perverted qualities when you kind of go down some of his filmography. Some people don't like that about him. I, I, I guess I understand, you know, but um. I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's strange, but it's very intoxicating. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it, it hasn't aged a day. That's no. the thing. None of his movies have aged a day. There is exactly one shot in this movie that is just like, eh, but it's like a for the time sort of thing. I don't really care. Which uh, is? It's Jimmy Stewart falling into the courtyard. It's like, eh. Yeah. All right. One optical shot that doesn't work great, but right. whatever. Right. Everything else is just yeah. chef's kiss. Incredible movie. So sexual too, <laughs> so fucking sexual. It's like this movie is so horny. It's yeah, crazy. There's, there's a fetishistic quality to like what's going on. And here. Grace Kelly's performance too is like I think it's an unbelievable performance, but I, it is also undeniably the most Hitchcock girl performance. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, it's very, uh, yeah. I mean, she is definitely objectified in this movie. Yeah, um, to a degree. Yeah, but. Do you go? She's great. She's unbelievable. Yeah, she is. She's very. Yeah, the, everybody's just quite, quite excellent in this movie. Quite excellent. Raymond Burr, in particular, he doesn't get enough credit, but he's really, really good as this very terrifying monster that's out there in the distance. I love him in this. The shot of of yeah of um of Grace Kelly pointing to the ring and then him meeting the eye line of Jimmy Stewart that across so the good. the park. There, it's yeah, it's like. It's, terrifying it's it, one of the most terrifying things you'll ever see in a movie yeah and the great thing about it is that like he's not lit in any like special way he's under like a light that we're sitting under right now it's very normal yes. and plain yes but that's why it's so fucking freaky <laughs> yeah yeah i love it yeah it's totally like, oh, it's so also good. the color in this movie is so good too it's it, it just it it's one of those movies that takes advantage of the color i'm not sure i can say that about every movie on this list there there's one that is perhaps some of the most brilliant use of color of, of all time of all yeah of all time right. but yeah but you're right, though. Yeah, to a degree. I, uh, some of these, yeah. It does, it, the some, reds in this movie in particular just pop so hard. And the way that the apartment is lit yep. is, yeah, incredible. I agree. All right. Rear Window. Good movie. It's a decent film. It's decent, an okay movie. Decent little film. It's a decent little film. Uh, I, mean, I don't think it's going to get inducted today. I think it's like a contender, but no. pretty crazy to say. No. I don't think it gets in. No. It's the, the, the funny thing about this list, it's like they're all like really great movies, yet there is still one that is just like obviously the winner. Right. Which is strange to say, but it's 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 kind of true. Yeah. Uh, let's go to 1956 now. The movie is called The Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm. It's a movie that I saw for the first time this week and same with you. Yep. Written by John Michael Hayes, also the screenwriter of Rear Window and a frequent Hitchcock collaborator. Starring once again, James Stewart and Doris Day. Yeah. Winner of Best Original Song at the Academy Awards that year for Whatever Will Be Will Be, parenthesis, que sera, sera. Uh, you know, I, I like to fancy myself a bit of a cinephile. I feel like I know quite a bit about movies. Embarrassing that I did not know that K. Sarah Sarah was from this film. Had no clue. <laughs> I had no idea. Had no fucking clue. And it's like, how did that not come up in... I've been hearing that song in pop culture for my entire life, and I never knew yeah. that Doris Day was the original artist and that it was made for this movie. I didn't know that either. Wow. 
Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just a song that everybody knew. I thought so. Yeah. For from since songs were songs and they existed and yeah. Yeah, I thought it was like with hot cross buns. You know? <laughs> it's just been around. Wow. Oh, it's for this movie. Fascinating. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um the first time I heard it, uh one of the great Simpsons episodes of all time, Bart's Comet. I think it was season six when uh, the town believes that this comet is coming to Earth and is going to kill them all. Oh, much like Don't Look Up. Much like Don't Look Up. Wow. And uh, Ned Flanders, much like Leo DiCaprio and, and Jennifer Lawrence have that nice dinner at the end of the movie wow. with the, I forget who's in that room. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Sure. There right, There you go. <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> Uh, 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 Ned Flanders sits at the top of a, of a, of a hill watching the comet descend and the impending doom, almost inevitable singing Kesarasara and the whole town joins in holding hands. Uh, And it is one of the most emotional moments you'll ever get watching (laughs) television. It is unbelievable, (laughs) unbelievable moment. And then wow. Mayor Quimby is like, run! <laughs> it's over. Over like 10 seconds, it's like a tear comes to your eye. What are we talking about? Oh, Casey Rossera. Casey Simpsons, great show. Uh, an American doctor and his wife, a former singing star, witness a murder while vacationing in Morocco and are drawn into a twisting plot of international intrigue when their young son is kidnapped. A little knowledge can be a deadly thing. Mm, good taglines. Pretty good. Good taglines. Pretty good. This is a remake of Hitchcock's yeah. own movie yeah. from the early 30s, uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much, a movie that he made in the UK. Um, although it is not a direct remake, uh, he always kind of wanted a second bite at the apple, so he made a movie again with a similar premise, and that's how you have this. What was your uh, takeaway after your oh. first viewing? Uh, really, really solid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. It's a, it's a, it's a it, my type of movie because of the setting. I think I've talked about stuff like this before. This is just kind of an environment that I love to be situated in. I don't know what it is about some of these more exotic uh, uh, settings, but they're just fun for me. Uh, I guess that's part of the reason why, like, the opening of Inception is like my favorite scene in that movie. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, like this, this works very very well i will say it's the one that i think i have the least to say about just be i I, i'm not sure i think it's the weakest movie here by a considerable margin yeah but it's but it's but it's fun it's it's really really good i it's it's not what i expected it to be at all it's because it's like a spy thriller it kind of you know i was getting occasionally like three days of the condor vibes here and there uh or is it three days? Yeah, three days of the Condor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I like Jimmy Stewart a lot in this role. I was shocked by how much I like Doris Day. She's great in this movie. Really good in She's the great. movie. She's great. Yeah, best part of the movie. Not even close. Um, and a phenomenal finale. Just like I want, I if I was like, okay, this is like solid, good, like like well made Hitchcock fare, but you know, it's not like wowing me necessarily. And then we got to the third act, and I'm just like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Amazing, everything from like nice the, little button at the end. Too, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 really, really sweet. And it's a, just nice timing with the editing and the framing of like the symbols with the camera back here and it, right before they're about to clap. It's just getting closer and closer, and it's ratcheting up just a little bit. The gun coming out of the curtain, the way that it does, yeah. just the just the, the the horror to it all. It's just all really, silent. All very way. yeah. 
That's right. No talking for, I think, like 12 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Really, really well done stuff. I just love it. It's purely cinematic, just pleasure. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, all I can say is that I just had a really good time with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean this as a dig, but it's going to sound like one. It's definitely Hitchcock's most ponderous movie. Um, <laughs> and like, again, I found that kind of refreshing. Like we were saying before, there's something very calculated and efficient about his movies that sort of leave people cold. I didn't feel cold coming out of this one. And no. I and that, is, that was a unique experience for me coming out of Hitchcock. You know, it is the complete opposite reaction you get from watching Rope, you know? Yes. Um, and, you know, th- there's a lot of time. There's the, the movie is generous with its time. It lets Doris Day just sing Que Sera with her cute kid, That's you know? True, yeah. It, it lets some of the comedy breathe. It lets Jimmy Stewart uh, get like a 30-second scene of him bumbling around on this couch, you know, trying to figure out how to sit on the couch cushion. Like, there's a lot of like really uh, like cute stuff. And it's <laughs> yeah. not usually a thing I would say about a Hitchcock movie. I would never use the word cute. That's true. But there was some cuteness here and yeah. there was some charm to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I understand the criticism, particularly at the time, was that this movie was kind of long. And it is a little overwrought, and there is a fine line between being generous with your time and being indulgent. And, like, it just feels like... It's kind of funny that this is a remake, because with a second go at the material, you'd think they would have made it more concise and more condensed. Oh, yeah. Like, there was just some very simple stuff in there that I, I didn't... I, like, would never happen now. Like, if you just, like, had a script supervisor reading it again, it's like... We can tighten that scene up. We can take this bit of dialogue out. Like there was one moment where um, the the uh, Jimmy Stewart is looking for this guy uh, with the last name Chapel, and yes. the uh, and Doris Day, who's playing the mother. The, this is a a pair of people that again their son was kidnapped after witnessing a, you know a murder in Morocco, um, and uh, you know so. Uh, James Stewart is looking for the guy chapel Doris Day realizes that actually they're looking for a physical chapel like a church building and so Doris Day when she realizes this goes to the chapel waits outside the chapel and then Jimmy Stewart comes back to the apartment her friends Doris Day's friends tell Jimmy Stewart where Doris Day went and then Jimmy Stewart ends up in front of the chapel with Doris Day. And it's like, you could have cut that entire telephone game out Mm -hmm. and just, you know, had the two of them go to the building together and you would have the exact same impact. Yep. Um, And there's just a lot of like procedural stuff in there that felt kind of unnecessary and shaggy. And I guess like, I I don't really mean it as an insult because again, I kind of liked the free flowing nature. I liked the use of music. I, I liked just sort of, it's the closest thing you'll get to a hangout movie. For a Hitchcock. To a Hitchcock hangout movie. Which, which is strange because there's a tremendous amount of urgency to what's going on in this movie. It's a, there is a ticking clock in this. Yes. We must stop this assassination plot from happening. Right. You know, And we must get our boy back before they kill him. But the movie never really feels like it's in a hurry, you know? No. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, is a weird mood to be in, and I don't fully know how to describe it, but... 
I didn't. Yeah, I didn't mind it. There's like, it's a chill movie. <laughs> Straight it is. Even though it's like about yeah, like like people killing a bunch of people in in a very public place, and our son is missing. It's like let's just hang out for a bit. Right, and there are scenes of like the son just hanging out with his kidnappers, yeah. and just like you know he's refusing to eat, and it's just like little things in there. Even the Kate Sarah scene with the with Doris Day, it's like, it takes forever. Yeah, not it, necessarily yeah. in a bad way, but yeah. it takes forever. Yeah. And the exposition too at the beginning, there is a lot of setup with this family dynamic. That's um, I think that's part of the reason why it was okay for me because the movie at least did the work, so maybe earned the right to be a little more free flowing. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, Hitchcock wanted to show that telephone call and show her, you know, waiting outside and stuff right. like that. Whatever. Even like the pill scene when he tells <laughs> yeah. her to take the pill before he breaks the news that their son has been kidnapped. That whole sequence takes a very long time. Of like, you know, like he learns the information about the kidnapping and then tells her like 15 minutes later. Um, And yeah, I mean, is that the tension of the movie? Because they're not action stars. They're just regular people. I'm not sure it's in the interest of tension, though. I don't think I was feeling tension during that. I do think I learned something about their relationship by going through that. Oh, definitely. I think it was more in service of character than it was tension. And that's what I'm sort of banging up against. It's like I'm not used to this look out of Hitchcock. It stressed me out at the very least, which I thought was enough given the situation because I knew that they weren't going to get into any gunfights anytime soon. So, yeah, it's just a very quiet moment (laughs) where... Yeah, I mean, again, the guy knows better than me how to build tension. I'm saying it, it, but it didn't. A lot of those moments didn't feel like that. And I'm, no, I, I, I agree. Um, there is a great moment of tension though, where Jimmy Stewart's walking down the road and he thinks someone's following him. That's great stuff. Yeah, maybe that's part of it too. The kind of the lingering nature needs to settle in for for you to start feeling paranoid because there's a tremendous amount of paranoia in this movie, and that's really where a lot of the more intense stuff uh, comes alive. If I'm to say anything positive about the so-called tension of the movie. Yeah. And listen, I feel that way about something like Vertigo, which has a lot of scenes of just characters walking down the street and following each other. And that that's another movie that's I mean, I well, mean, it's it's ponderous. Certainly, there's a whole like, lot of nothing in Vertigo. There is. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of nothing in Vertigo. But we'll man, talk about it. But it feels like it's in service of something. Whereas here, it's like, I'm not sure they really knew exactly what they were doing when they made this. Um Interesting, though, Hitchcock prefers the original. In Hitchcock Truffaut, he actually said, um, like, the final version is definitely the work of a more talented professional. Um, but the original is, you know, an amateur. And I, I think he sort of preferred the messiness of it. But again, I find this movie kind of messy, too, in an endearing way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's good, though. It's good. It's solid. Yeah. You know? But yeah, if you if you had to ask me which is the weakest, yeah, I guess by de- by default it's this. Uh, and as you said, Doris Day, I think sub- subverts the Hitchcock girl trope in a really nice way too. Like she's a lot more self sufficient than all the other uh, Hitchcock girls. She's warmer. She's not as icy and cold and removed because she's playing a mother and she's a bit older. I think and she also feels like a real person. There's a lot of Hitchcock girls that just frankly don't feel like real people. I think that that's kind of what I'm trying to say there. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's just real. Um, Who's the best Hitchcock girl though? Because I have an answer. If you want to call her a Hitchcock, she's so not a Hitchcock girl that you know there's a remove. Uh, who is it? I go uh, Ingrid Bergman. In Notorious. In Notorious. If you, re- I'm not even sure that counts. That's the thing. It definitely suffers the same fate of other Hitchcock girls, though, in that she is just used as an 
as an object to sort of she's like the main character of the movie yeah it's different no i think that yeah i think her characterization is brilliant in that too great might be the ultimate hitchcock girl in that way though i don't know about that though I, I see. I see Grace Kelly in Rear Window as kind of the ultimate Hitchcock girl for what she is. I think that's probably my favorite. Yeah, and it's not like Doris Day isn't attractive in this, but it's like she's not uh, like traditionally sexy. And I think that helps too, just by virtue of the casting. Like Hitchcock is, yeah. you know, is forced to sort of contend with her as a real person. You know, a short-haired mother. You know, yeah, she's really good. She's great in this movie. Yeah, she's I was really good. Quite surprised by how good she was. Yeah. Uh okay yeah that's the man who wasn't there that's fine yeah, yeah I I hate to like sound kind of muted on it I, I I just think like it wasn't what I was expecting out of a of a Hitchcock uh, spy thriller and I would agree too it's I mean there's another kind of spy thrillery th- thing of of mistaken information and stuff that we're gonna run into that is much better much better yeah so totally all right let's just do this now 1958's <laughs> Vertigo. A movie that we have not discussed yet on this podcast. That's bad. That's bad. And you call yourself a movie show. <laughs> yep. Starring James Stewart and Kim Novak. Nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Sound at the Academy Awards. That is it. Yeah. A former San Francisco de- police detective juggles wrestling with his personal demons and becoming obsessed with the hauntingly beautiful woman he has been hired to trail who may be deeply disturbed. <laughs> A Hitchcock thriller. You should see it from the beginning. Yeah. What am I going to walk in halfway through? Yeah, I was going to say. What I mean, from the beginning. I want to see it at the end. Yeah, I was thinking I might just stroll in around the hour <laughs> ten mark. I want the last five minutes. That's all I need. That's all I need to be satisfied. You should see it from the beginning. <laughs> what a, a t- stupid tagline! That is, is a that? really stupid tagline. But, uh. Vertigo, it's yeah. in front of vertigo so sure yeah probably should see it from the beginning yeah <laughs> i would say that uh okay so what can be said about a movie that has been talked about more than maybe any other movie ever made yeah uh, not much no but we'll try I, 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 it's pointless i don't know why i don't even know why it's on this list it's just <laughs> no i know why it's on this list but like because it's the best movie ever there are few nominees that 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 line has been more prevalent towards it's like i want to say this oh that's been said before oh this no i've already right i've heard that before yeah i'm not sure i have a take i'll say this go ahead for those who say um movies that are self-masturbatory all suck no huh not the case yeah. because vertigo exists right. and it's perhaps the best movie ever made yeah so i don't know right yeah <laughs> indulgence isn't always a bad thing i guess huh? it's like the most indulgent film i've ever seen <laughs> it's just hitchcock's headspace yeah that's all this movie is like i i one of the things that's said in the the documentary for hitchcock Truffaut when they're interviewing Scorsese, he makes a great point and I agree with him. I love him. this clip. I watched it. Yeah. Just 100%. I don't buy the story. Yeah. I don't buy the story. I'm not even sure I completely buy who these characters are. But that was one you, of the knocks at the time. It's yeah. a goofy story. But if you look at it as uh, a window into Hitchcock's psyche and his interests and the things that kind of tickle his fancy a little bit, this movie is so goddamn fascinating. Yeah. It is, it's, it's, 
it's so fucking weird. This it's movie so weird. This is one of the weirdest movies I've ever. When you actually think about like what's going There's on, possessions and like yeah. creepy nuns <laughs> and like weird animation I, sequences <laughs> in the middle, like it's fucking bizarre. Dude. And at the center of it is this very troubling story about a man's obsession with a woman. Yes, about him trying to turn her into. A completely different human being. Yes, and to mold her into a woman that doesn't exist. Exist that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. And it, if that ain't Hitchcock, I don't know what is. But that's the right? point. It's, yeah, it is the journey of a pretty fetishistic director. Sure, in a way. And I guess the great subversion of this movie is like it, you 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 have what is a traditional meet leading man in uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart, but he's the villain of the movie. But yeah, 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 yeah. By fault, like it's just what it is. Yeah, and it's just so funny when the movie finally, re- when when you as the audience realize what's going on. I don't think anyone who saw this, I I know a lot of people had trouble with this movie when it came out because they weren't weren't really sure what it was getting at. And you I got don't think mixed they were, to negative reviews at the time. And see, yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, seeing Jimmy Stewart in this role, they're like, "What is going on?" But you look at it You're now, terrified of him by the end of this movie. Yeah, like that last five minutes, I am scared of. America's uncle you know yes like have you ever been scared of Tom Hanks in the way you're scared of Jimmy Stewart in that moment I guess we'll see an Elvis <laughs> I guess <laughs> but like I, you know Jimmy Stewart and Tom Hanks are thought of as like cut from the same cloth but Hanks doesn't have a performance like this no you know no. I mean the, the last five minutes the the monologue from the bottom of the staircase to the top is one of the greatest assaults you could ever endure as an audience member in a movie. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane what he does to you and what Hitchcock does to you and what Bernard Herrmann does to you in that moment. Like, it is one of the greatest reviews I've ever seen in this movie. He said, it's like staring directly into the sun. And that's what the movie is like. It's like staring right at the sun. Yeah. You know? It's rough. It's rough. And you don't realize that it's one of those instances where when the rug is pulled out from underneath you, you're just like, God, what, like, like, who, who was I for, like, going along with this guy? Because you're there with him for, for a lot, a, a big part of it. It's a movie that is, again, it, one of the reasons I think it's also considered one of his greatest movies is because it's a constant trick. He's constantly fooling you into thinking that you're on the path of good here when you're just so not. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, you're like, what's the matter with me? Right. It's real. It's in. The, and that's the whole movie. It's like one of his greatest subversions. And yeah. that's perhaps, I guess, why you could also call it his greatest trick and all that. And it's just the fact that it is America's dad, you know, and the in sure. Jimmy Stewart, because I think at the time there he even said uh, Hitchcock said that it might have been a mistake to cast uh, Jimmy Stewart. But it's like couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, it's it is some of the best casting, I think. I've ever seen for totally. that very reason. Yeah, you have to. You need the rug pulled out from under you because at the beginning you totally sympathize with him and like you feel bad for him, especially when the scheme is revealed and you find out exactly what's happening here. Like, yeah, yeah of course your heart breaks for him, but then by the end it's like, goodness, the 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 monstrosity within man. Like it's great. <laughs> yeah. Like if it's in Jimmy Stewart, it's definitely in me. You know what I mean? Yep. Like if he's capable of doing that, I certainly am too. And similar with Rear Window, it's like we're culpable in all of this. Mm-hmm. Like Hitchcock is culpable in all of this. Like specifically us as like guys that like movies and that, you know, uh, uh, maybe fetishize some of these like women at the center of it. Like, yeah, we're constantly like trying to mold women into what we think the the 
ideal woman is you know yep uh and it's uh, horrifying too it's horrifying she she stares stares you in the face in that way like it's crazy you're almost tempted to shut it off when she comes out of the bathroom in the green dress it's just like what what the neon sign too i mean the the use of color uh, on that is and like the the like almost fantasy sequences that sort of are intercut there are as good as cinema gets best use of the red and greens yeah, and it's not right. even close yeah it's, it's you know what what is there what, what else is there to say and you can talk about like the thematic significance and the emotional responses to those colors but i don't want to get ner- that nerdy i guess tarkovsky was good at that yeah. too like I whatever. <laughs> like if they hear all the cinephiles are gonna be like well actually the use of color and the you know the friggin jacques demi uh whatever <laughs> But I don't know. The color is great here. Yes, it is. It yeah. is. And, and but again, like what what it signifies when you see it is it, it it's always earned. It always makes complete sense to me. And there's another movie. Um, well, I guess the only movie on on this. Well, I was saying earlier how like Hitchcock was always afraid to be ambitious, but this movie more than makes up for it because it's by far his most ambitious film. Yeah, it's by far the one like has the level of like layers that a Kubrick film does that earns that level of breakdown and those like documentaries just made it. But literally, I mean, Hitchcock Truvaux is essentially a documentary about Vertigo, yes. m- m- more or less. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's like yeah, yeah, he, there it is, there it is, there it is, and you know, it's one of those movies you discover something. Uh, uh, more and more icky as you go along. Like this, the other thing about discovering more things about this film is that it's never really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so, so in that in that way, it's it's not the easiest film to revisit because because if if you're on its wavelength and you understand what it's doing, it is pretty crushing. Yeah. Uh, but it's just it's it's one of the most fascinating films I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, because of those somewhat meta elements for me personally. Yeah. I, right. That's all there. And. At the same time, again, he's creating a visual language that people are going to rip off. He invents the dolly zoom in this movie. And, you know, Spike Lee owes his entire career to that. Um, As you said, like the color has never been used better. And like to me, this is the one movie that I point to. And it's like, if you want to see film as a symphony, if you want to see like just the language of cinema coming together and just you know, we're going to fire off every endorphin at once. Yes. Every every synapse in your brain is going to be triggered by the sounds and the look and the feel and the acting and the writing on display. Um, so like in, it, it is perhaps the most movie ever made. You know <laughs> what I mean? A lot of movie. <laughs> it's a, there's a lot of movie in this movie, and I, like I just think all of it. It's musical. It really is. It's the it's it's yes, and it it it, it evokes this sort of. This visceral reaction out of you that I remember the first time I saw it when I was done. Like, because again, I think I watched it as homework because it's like, all right, second sound says this is number one and it's considered Hitchcock's best and AFI has it in the top 10. And I'm going to sit down and watch it because I'm supposed to. And I, I like I couldn't breathe at the end of it. It's yeah. really crazy. Yeah, there's just a not nothing. It's not natural. That's the other thing. So when you see a lot of these dramatic shots, it's like. It's something that could only exist in the cinema and you're, I, I don't know how you just, like, I think of like her in front of the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge, which is such as like a mysterious, like ro- romantic shot. But like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it, there's a, fe- there's a fever dream horror element to it when you put in Jimmy Stewart's character in those scenes. There's a lot of creepiness to this yeah. movie. And, and as, as, uh, um, 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 
uh, Scorsese has said in in the uh, Hitchcock Truffaut documentary, there's nothing objective about this movie. Let's just be clear. Right. <laughs> it is not objective. And sure. no, no like, and this is a great example of that where it's like it's it, it's all very distinctly and all very creepily Hitchcock's eye. Yes. You know? Even in the quiet moments, he talks a lot about Scorsese. Mm. Just the moments where Jimmy Stewart is following Kim Novak. Mm, and just the garden. Yeah, just down the streets of San Francisco. Unbelievable San Francisco movie. The zoom in on, yeah, the best. The, the best. best. It's like that. It it's what is, what, that. Mrs. Doubtfire. Zodiac. <laughs> Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I don't know why we had to keep going after Mrs. Doubtfire. I think <laughs> oh, yeah. Kind of nailed that. It's, it's Mrs. Doubtfire, then it's Vertigo. <laughs> I, I I wanted to say too Dirty like, Harry I guess Yeah Oh great Wonderful one Yeah yeah, yeah. That's true yeah. I wanted to talk about Like just the innovation Venom. To like Say what Venom Really the best You know Vertigo owes a lot to Venom <laughs> Sure When you think about it When you really think about <laughs> it Really gotta think about <laughs> it <laughs> Uh I, I I wanted to say how much I love when a filmmaker kind of realizes some of these uh, uh, visual moments with the dolly zoom because obviously it's like it's it's the first time it's ever is it the first time it's ever been used? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the urban legend at least. I don't know. Well, the, history this, is written by the winners, I guess, but mm-hmm. I think so. All I right. think so. Yeah. But but talking about the visual symphony and just bringing the audience on a very provocative emotional journey, you have to really sit down and think about what the camera is going to do and how it works. You have to have a very firm understanding of like why a camera does this, why this shot does something to someone, and why this shot does something to someone. And I just love that idea of like him just interrogating. I need to feel like I'm afraid of heights. Like mm. it's a very hard thing to just think of in your head and I can imagine him just like struggling for hours just to be like because you could just shoot like a wide shot of the guy standing on a ledge but that doesn't quite do it it's just a shot of a guy standing on a ledge and it's like yeah it's a picture I can frame in my house but you need to like push the audience to feeling that emotional response and it's just it's really inspiring seeing him come up with something like that yeah I mean he he creates a a whole tool like yeah exactly inv- it's like inventing a hammer no. like to you know it's like how do <laughs> yeah, i get yeah. this nail in that wall it's exactly. like and he invents a hammer like you say that how do i communicate vertigo i'm gonna invent the dolly zoom i guess you I mean, that's to, insane yeah. you yeah, know what i mean it's not it's not like he was using the tools that were there already yeah he had to invent the tool to solve the problem <laughs> it is pure innovation it, it, right yeah, yeah. i mean which is like how many how many people can you say that about not just in film but in life like, how many people can you say that about? Or it's like they've encountered a problem in their profession and they have invented the tool that is used to solve it. You know, it's not like I'm going to order the part from, you know, from Canada or something. It's like, no, I'm going to invent the tool here so I can fix what I need to fix. Latte Larry's has a squatty potty for women. That's pretty good. Good point. <laughs> There's a new coffee shop down the street from me. Where are you going with this? Named Aroma Joe's. It's called Aroma Joe's? It's called Aroma Joe's. It's really good. They have like all sorts of flavored lattes and they have, um, uh, yeah, they have pretzels, really good pretzels. That sounds good. It's right up the street from me. You eat pretzels? Yeah. Oh, you do eat pretzels. I I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah. They make me thirsty. (laughs) It's called Aroma Joe's and apparently it's a chain. I don't know where it's from and... I call it Mocha Joe's just 
instinctually. How like can it's, it's how can you not? It's Mocha Joe's. <laughs> like my brother and I call that I literally call it Mocha Joe's. And when we tell people, like we sometimes forget. So when they put it in their GPS, oh no, Mocha Joe's. Right, Aroma Joe's does not come up. It's a shame that it can't be Mocha Joe's. It really is. It's a perfect name for a coffee shop, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, but Latte Larry might be a little better. It's close. Yeah. <laughs> Latte Larry. Top of the muffin to you also pretty good. No, Mocha Joe is perfect because Joe is also coffee. Yes, Adam, I get it. So yeah, I'm just saying. Right. I'm just saying. Sure. What the hell is a Larry? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> This has been Adam Explains Puns Coming to a podcast feed near you About to be spun off as its own show I love explaining the pun It is my favorite thing Adam Explaining Puns That would actually not be a bad video series It'd be kind of funny You explaining jokes and just ruining them Because that is actually what you do all the time So guys, actually Actually, if you think about it Yeah, I'll tell a joke And Adam will feel the need to elaborate on the joke as if people don't understand irony. <laughs> I, I, I am suck the air out of the balloon. I am. Uh, uh, um, what's the guy's name in a simple plan? Uh, Billy Bob. Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton. I don't know why I forgot his name. Yeah. I'm Billy Bob Thornton in a simple plan. Right. That's fine. <laughs> oh, because he's, dead. Cause he's uh, dead. That's funny. I get it. That's funny. In case you guys didn't get it. I like it. I'm happy being that 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 idiot. <laughs> All right. North by Northwest. Oh, yeah. Final movie on the list. Not anything else about Vertigo? Nothing, right? It sucks. Yeah. It's a piece of shit. North by Northwest, 1959, starring Cary Grant, Eva St. Marie, and James Mason. You have a good James Mason impression? No, I wish I did. Yes. Yes. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes. We were just talking about him the other day, weren't we? I just wanted to take one more look at you. I don't know. <laughs> what, what can you say? There's nothing to say. He's got no lines. Uh, James Mason. James Mason. I do like him a lot. I like him in both those movies, yeah. Nominated for Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and Best Film Editing at the Academy Awards, a New York City advertising executive goes on the run after being mistaken for a government agent by a group of foreign spies and falls for a woman whose loyalties he begins to doubt. It's a deadly game of tag, and Cary Grant is it. That's the tagline? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> North by Northwest. Uh, great, great movie. Great, just like one of those great old action movies. That's how I see it anyway. We uh, were just yelling about this last week, mm-hmm. and we were shushed. We were at a restaurant last oh, we were week. shushed, yeah. I still have my answer. I stand by my answer. I don't. Couple, couple drinks in. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Adam and I. So <laughs> we should actually set it we, up. This happens people. a lot, though. Like, you, you, I say what the best is, and then you talk about what the greatest is. And I'm like, I'm not talking about the greatest. I'm talking about what I think the best one is. And my answer was Fury Road. I need to give a sense of the geography. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. We're at a wedding. Mm. We're at a rehearsal dinner for a wedding. That's right. Adam and I had been taking <laughs> shots of. What was that? Uh. Jack Daniels with Tennessee honey. honey Tennessee, Tennessee honey. honey right we arrive at this very nice restaurant that has been closed for a private event yes the bride and groom's families are there it's a really you know nice moment everybody's making pleasantries and Adam and I sit 
<laughs> on opposite ends of a guy that I had not seen in about six years. He had no idea what he was getting into. Mm-mm. Sat in between us. It was a dumb idea. The 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 movies came up in conversation. The 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 movie uh, meat grinder began to churn. I didn't even mean for that. To, I didn't. I did not incite a movie conversation. I didn't he, either. He mentioned the no, Batman. He mentioned it was it. his fault. It was his fault. Yeah, but he didn't know that he was in the middle of of Mister and Mrs. Smith to reference another That's Hitchcock a good movie. <laughs> You know, it was a dumb. I yeah, I, I kind of blame him for that. That was because it was an outrageous thing to say. I'm just sorry. I'm just like okay. So he was in between, and again, Adam and I, a couple shots deep at this point, begin screaming at this guy, <laughs> just shouting. <laughs> to which point, I think I wasn't really paying attention, but the older relatives of uh, the bride and groom began to be a little troubled. Shh, shh, be quiet. And your girlfriend shushed us. She did. That did not stop us from continuing for another half hour no. screaming at the top of our lungs in this restaurant. No. But I, for one, had a great time. It was fun. It's a lot of fun. If, there, if there's not the best place to do that, uh, but the funniest place to do it, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. We. The, but the, the, that was how we were talking about best action movie of all time, and yeah. you said. Uh, I think the best Mad action. Max. I think the best action film of all time is Fury Road. Greatest is a different question, though. That's what I was saying. But North by Northwest did not come up, and this is a, actually perfect candidate. Yeah, sure. For sure. this question, absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. So um, the first time I saw this movie, I think. I think I was a little underwhelmed by it, and maybe that's because. I had seen the movie before I saw the movie. It, yeah. it is so heavily referenced. It's maybe, with the exception of Psycho, it's Hitchcock's most, most visually iconic movie. So you've seen the crop dusting scene. You've seen the Mount Rushmore fight. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't seen the actual North by Northwest celluloid. Um, and I think when I saw it for the first time, I'm like, well, this is really like... Uh, minor in the grand scheme of things just like it has very little to say and hitchcock himself said like i was coming off of vertigo that's a really fucking heavy movie there's a lot of ideas in that and i kind of wanted to just take it easy for one and make a very simple down-to-earth action caper um and ernest lehman who wrote the movie expressed a similar idea which is like i'm gonna make the most hitchcock movie ever made. i'm gonna write <laughs> the ultimate hitchcock movie and just include all of his tropes to the point of self-parody at some points sort of but it's not the most hitchcock film it's yeah. not it's not yeah. that was vertigo i guess in a way sure almost personal i guess we can say what's the most hitchcock movie god damn that's a tough Man, rear window. I guess you want to say Psycho, but it's Psycho, Psycho actually is very different from the I rest of his filmography. Right? I would agree. You know, Notorious is very Hitchcock. Very much so. I mean, that key is like the Hitchcock item in my head. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Good question. I mean, maybe it's North by Northwest. What do I know? But right. Uh, yeah. The Birds might be Hitchcock's most Hitchcock film at this point. That's also probably true, yeah. You know? I, I do like that movie. I always need to preface. We we have talked about it, though, I think. Yes, yeah. we have. Yeah, and the other thing was, too, I, I recently watched uh, Saboteur, which is uh, one of his uh, 40s black and white movies. Um, and that, when you watch it, it's like, oh, this is just a trial run for North by Northwest. It's... You know, a man wrongly accused, which is a common trope with his movies. It's not mm. unusual, but uh, there's a sort of international crime element. Uh, the climax of the movie takes place on the Statue of Liberty, 
<laughs> which is almost, you know, identical to the climax of this one. Prefigures X-Men, it sounds like. And uh, and Spider-Man No Way Home. I totally forgot that was on the top of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> I know. Well, it wasn't. It was in an Atlanta office building. But, ah, yeah. <laughs> I guess, sure. They weren't actually filming on the top of the fucking Statue of Liberty in Salvatore, you idiot. Just saying. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> Did you see the new Thor trailer? Yeah. So I'm interested by the Christian Bale of it all. Um, but the green screen, why is it getting worse? Because <laughs> they're trying to make it look like an 80s hair band album cover. Is that what it is? That's definitely what it is i don't know why they're going in that direction I, but but i feel like it's a trend though because i think that the spider-man green screen was quite bad too and the doctor yeah. strange green screen looked unfinished mm. why is it getting worse i don't know they're overproduced does that have anything to do are with they it? just making too many of them yeah yeah they're definitely doing that is know? that maybe what it is it's just like they're they're like their cgi people are spread a little too thin perhaps yeah. you know a lot of work this takes a lot of and they all get fired after they're done with their great work right you know because i don't want to come down on cgi artists too much they they ruin their lives to make this stuff work like i'm sure that squid thing at the beginning of dr strange took people ages right and they didn't sleep sure as just just to get its eye to flex they right. didn't sleep for weeks right and then Think you about look that. at it and it's like silly cgi i, so I don't want to just done this practically <laughs> yeah hire a real squid thing <laughs> <laughs> So I don't want to be too mean to them, but like, yeah, it's a studio thing, though, dude. I I, I don't know. They they they're really running these people ragged. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, that that movie, this is obviously a more expensive and more polished version of Saboteur. But yeah, th- this is very much so kind of like Hitchcock self-parody it's very like self-referential and if you view it from that lens it's just like a pure piece of popcorn entertainment it is that is aware of the fact that it's a hitchcock movie you know it's a hitchcock movie that knows it's a hitchcock movie um it's it's about as good a time as you can have watching something yeah i never because i i knew that you were sort of like it's fine for a while i never understood that because this movie's just endlessly entertaining yeah it's one of those it's because not here's the thing not all hitchcock films i'm always in the mood to watch i could watch rear window whenever psycho whenever and north by northwest whenever whenever the hell i want sure and it, and it, it never stops getting old just because it's a great thriller mm. and i don't know like i like the jason bourne films i like the james bond films this works very well in in that vein you know feels Cary grant feels like the first james bond almost in a lot of ways yeah it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like those kinds of movies. And I also like a good, like, mistaken identity sort of movie. That's also a lot of fun to see them work their way out of it. But to do it in a Hitchcock way that's as outrageous as it is, even with the opening titles on the side of the building like that, I'm just like, what is this? But then you kind of catch on to the charm really quickly. Right. So How about this? It's not the most influential film ever made, but could it be the most influential movie ever made? <laughs> That's a strange question. What do you think of that little? <laughs> that was influential movie. Y'all can y'all can quote me on that one and pay me the residuals. Hello, David Fincher. <laughs> I make movies and I make films. Uh, influential movie. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Film. That's a tough question to answer. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say Citizen Kane is is the most influential film, I this might be in terms of like blockbuster entertainment, blockbuster. a precursor to a lot of shit. 
I, essentially in, invents James Bond. This happens before. Well, and obviously James Bond was around in novels, but this came out before any of the Bond movies, and it's kind of the ultimate Bond movie. Yeah, but you got to look at like like uh, like Chaplin films. They're movies. They're just solid, fun, chill out, have a great time, entertainment movies. I mean, in that case, I, I might throw Modern Times up there, you know? Right. And then you get like, well, the kid's not really. That's not a fun movie. Great movie, but not a fun movie. I guess Jaws. Yeah. Is, yeah, got to be there. Yeah, it's got to be there. Sure. Is this is this you know maybe it's referencing Jaws to a degree, or Jaws is referencing this? I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I I, I won't say invents the action genre because obviously, like there's there's plenty of great action movies that come out before it. Uh, you know, Third Man in many ways is like a great action movie and whatever. All movies are action movies. <sighs> did that come up in the restaurant conversation when we were screaming at the top of our lungs? <laughs> no, it did not. But technically. All movies are action movies. Just imagine you screaming in Rachel's grandmother's ear. Just <laughs> you think about it. <laughs> Shut up, Rachel. <laughs> All movies are action because there's movement <laughs> and blocking. Your grandmother doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah Yeah. um continue (laughs) no i just think like yeah this is maybe the ultimate caper sort of cross-country globe-trotting caper yeah and that's kind of what i I love those types of movies yeah it's constantly in motion this movie it's constantly in movement Mm -hmm. um and yeah, it doesn't really take any time to slow down. Um, and that's that's why it's like so rewatchable. Yeah, let's say that. Maybe it's his most rewatchable movie. It is, I think for me, but perhaps most rewatchable. It is the, because you know, I mean, a lot of movies like this that are globetrotting are just kind of exhausting and annoying and there's too much exposition. And mm-hmm. no, this is a nice little balance where it is just pure film action, go, go, go the entire time. Yeah. And never, I don't know, there's not a single moment that's boring. And I say, I say this a lot. I look for movies that have like the moments. Mm-hmm. I, re, I will rewatch films for very specific specific heightened moments and this has tons of them even just the train scenes i just love those really like like quietly tense moments as he's trying to hide and stuff yeah. like that. it's just really good stuff uh grant let's talk about Cary grant because this is the first movie on the list that does not star jimmy stewart yes. um and jimmy stewart was supposed to be the lead in this and stewart actually lobbied to be the lead in this but hitchcock wanted Cary grant uh i think like a, a much better casting decision like uh, you know i love Stuart in basically all of the movies we just talked about but he's not james bond no right and that, cary grant is that's the problem i mean i understand the initial temptation just because it's supposed to be a regular joe that's mistaken for a very big horrible thing and you know obviously cary grant's not just a regular joe but because this is not it's not really that kind of film, you know? I mean, you, you, it's an action movie right. in that sense. It's, it is a thriller. It's someone who's constantly throwing fists. Yeah. And so I don't care that he doesn't look like a regular Joe in order to sell the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Because there is an aspect where it's like Jimmy Stewart's kind of out of place here running the way that he has to run. Yeah, and, he's be a bumbling moron. <laughs> Could you imagine him the in plane. the yeah in the plane sequence? Yeah, <laughs> when it blows up, I just I don't see Jimmy Stewart being there. Are you getting hit by the truck or anything? No, like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas, yeah, I think like Cary Grant 
he obviously cut his teeth doing screwball comedies with the you know with with the bringing up baby and his girl friday and stuff so yeah like he he's able to like say stuff with a wink and yes. say stuff with like a, a knowing sort of um you know amount of knowingness which helps yeah so yeah i think like that's part of it and hitchcock sort of cracks that code of like movies like this need self-aware actors at the center of them mm. you know even if there's something a little smarmy about him and a little like too clever and too wise about him could it be the first time where that happens because now we get that all the time yeah, with right. marvel movies i mean all the time. all movies they're all like that yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah all action movies are like that could be the first time where that happens yeah i think yeah yeah i mean like i'm not sure connery be, you know really becomes bond in the way that we think about him now if if not for this movie you know yeah. Cary grant kind of like how great of a bond would Cary grant have been wonderful would have been an amazing bond and that's what, one of the reasons why when people look at this movie they they sort of play it as a bond film in their head a lot of the times that's something that you see like written about constantly it's like the first real bond movie right. north by northwest isn't it's not a bond movie but yeah but you 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 can't help but think yeah yeah this sort of set that precedent for sure yeah yeah all right that's north by northwest uh, these are great classic all-time movies yeah. all of which should be represented in a hall of fame of some kind but that's not the rules of this podcast Yeah, because we're mean we're sons of bitches right in this podcast only one of these movies will sit next to godfather part three and that's right synecdoche new york and you know like margaret what a oh god what taken a, what what a strange lineup of movies hitchcock there. only gets one of these in though that's true yeah he's had movies in there before right he got psycho psycho is in there already yeah. yes okay okay so that's fine so this will be his second and he's got two more coming up that's right yeah that's right uh my vote for this will be the 1958 film vertigo yeah i think it's pretty damn good I would like Marnie because it's the best movie ever made about a, uh, a kleptomaniac. Marnie's good. So we're going with Marnie. Marnie's good. Uh, we're good with Vertigo? Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, James Stewart, you creepy bastard. So there is probably going to be another sight and sound poll this year because the last time they did it was 2012 wow okay and i i think the pattern is they do it every 10 years so uh we'll see black panther best movie ever made (laughs) (laughs) you think anything's gonna make it in from the last 10 years yeah i think so i think so i think fury road could get in there that's probably your best contender whiplash maybe i don't i don't know about whiplash yeah I don't know about Whiplash. Ah, Whiplash is so good. Maybe uh, like Moonlight or something. Yeah, There's I don't a few know. Out of a, like what, like obligation? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Fury is the most obvious one, but uh, that's about. There's that's I think 2010s is a weird time where it's like film lost a lot of identity. I mean, that's where monoculture disappears. So there's that. Sure. Know? Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's it's it was always Citizen Kane on yeah. that list. I think they were they started doing it like the seventies or maybe even the sixties and citizen came was always number one and vertigo you saw sort of creep up. Yeah. And it was like, I think that's very much um, emulated the life cycle of the movie itself, which was at the time people liked it, but they didn't really know what to make of it. Sure. 
And Citizen Kane has endured, but Vertigo has sort of climbed in estimation. And all, there have been people that are like still acknowledge how great Citizen Kane is, but they're like, it's not my favorite. Yeah, Vertigo. I, but this was the first time, 2012, that it it earned the number one spot on that list. So okay. it is. It, uh, it's sort of um, it's hitting younger viewers in sure. a way that Citizen Kane isn't anymore, and that's kind of interesting. I wonder where it'll be. We did this see this time around. We did see Vertigo in the Last Jedi. There's that that shot on the cliff that's just a shot from Vertigo. So yeah. you know, filmmakers like Ryan Johnson get it. Sure. So. Oh, there's so much Hitchcock in what Ryan Johnson does. Oh yeah. So much. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we'll see. That I think uh, I was reading the last time the poll came out was around August. So okay. Yeah. It is kind of exciting because it's yeah. it's curious. Yeah. It's like a little like temperature check. For, yeah. 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 That's right. true. That's true. Where the cinephiles stand. So. What could what could top it though? Best is it best American I, films or best films? I think of best all, films of all time. All they go time. any any film. Well, let let me tell you what was on the the 2012 list, and you tell me if if um if there could be another number one here, a new number one. Mm. Uh, sight and sound. Uh, you have uh, Vertigo at one, Citizen Kane at two, Tokyo Story at three. Okay. The Rules of the Game at four. Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans at five. Mm-hmm. 2001 at six. The Searchers at seven. Man with a Movie Camera at eight. I don't even know what that is. Me neither. The Passion of Joan of Arc at nine and eight and a half at ten. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Eight and a half might creep up a little bit, you know. Yeah. I don't know. What is the newest movie on this list? Ooh. In the Mood for Love at number 24. <laughs> Oh, Mahalan Drive is at 28. Okay. That's another movie that could creep up. Yeah. That's so fun. Everyone, I, 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 I like Mahalan Drive as much as the next guy, but yeah, it's not, not my favorite. Well, not as much as the next guy. No, I guess that's true. <laughs> not my favorite movie, though. Not as much as me. No, not my favorite Lynch film. In the Mood for Love, huh? That's such a good movie. That is... Yee Yee is on here. That's from 2000. What is Yee Yee? Oh, okay. You ever seen that have you? Yeah. Yeah. It's when did good. you see it? I feel like I talked to you about it maybe like a year or two ago. You saw it a year or two ago? I think so. Interesting. No. Okay. I see it all over the place when I'm, you know, scratching around for like classic films and stuff like that. And it's particularly, particularly the Criterion. But yeah, it's one of those movies where it's like, man, I've been just staring at the back of this guy's head for a half hour. And I am in awe. I don't know why. But for some reason, I'm just eating this up. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, this has the Godfather over Godfather Two. Has it ten spots above Godfather Two? Okay. That that there's my bold call. If I'm betting on this in Vegas, I think the new Sight and Sound poll Godfather Two will be above the original okay. Godfather because I feel like that's a take now that everybody sort of accepts. Godfather Two is better. Yeah. What is? <laughs> I think that, I think so. That's what who I cares? Would say. It's like they're they're great. Like how do you how do you know it's better? I don't know. I don't know. You know me. It's like I, I don't like judging these movies so so harshly. Blade Runner at sixty nine. Oh, okay. Right above Blue Velvet. Really? All right. Cool. Yeah. Oh, what do I? Ooh, that's oh my god. That's a Sophie's choice for me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Wow. Sophie's choice not here. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, I just saw Rope. Rope was on there too. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Cool. Cool. Rope was, uh, yeah, what was that? Yeah, whatever. Okay. That's it. That's a podcast. We will be back in two weeks 
Talking black and white Hitchcock, mm. going back in time, talking Yummy. about five more of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. This, going this back, is fun. Going back to an era that people hate. No one likes black and white movies. It's true. He, I, I won't. I refuse to watch a movie if it's in black or white. It's true. Because it sucks. Um, mm. Enjoying Saul? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> enjoying Saul. Yeah. That's a, we talked about this a little over text, because, but it's like, ah, oh, there's the show. Right. There, it there is. you were. There it is. <laughs> it was quite satisfying, to say the least. Just having a great time, man. Just watching Hitchcock movies as Better Call Saul and, and Barrier on TV. It's like. Now, there's a great extension of uh, Hitchcock with uh, Vince Gilligan. Jesus Christ. What a time to be alive. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it's just Wonderful. great. Oh. Yeah, I was thinking about that before. It's like, I'm in my 20s. And I'm going to be able to talk about Breaking Bad and Saul for like the rest of my life. And it's like that that came out when I was in my 20s. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you know, that's right. That's right. It's yeah. like I was around when those shows were on and I was watching every week and I was talking to my friends about them. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is something no one does anymore. Which is why I like shows like this. It's yeah. very important to have that. No, it's like saying that you were you saw Star Wars in a theater for the first time. Like, that's kind of how I feel about Saul and Breaking Bad now. It's like you understand the movie for us for that. The you saw Star Wars in a theater thing when it came out was Avatar. That was the movie. It's not the Dark Knight. No, no, it was Avatar. I see. I don't think so, though. I'm not sure that's. You think in 20 years from now, people are going to be like, "You saw Avatar in the no, the no, no, no." I'm not, I'm not saying that, but when it came out, the mo- the the movie that had that kind of like this this changes everything kind of conversation, it was that movie. Oh, sure. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The Dark Knight. I. I don't know. You know me, I saw Dark Knight in a drive-thru and in theaters, but I first I saw it in a drive-thru. Yeah. So I saw it twice. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, a lot of those, uh, those hype, those, uh, the superlatives of like, I listened to Nevermind for the first time and my ears started bleeding and I was like, <laughs> music will never be the same after this. I think are with the benefit of hindsight and nostalgia. Like, there's another problem: music. Yeah, Jesus, you don't have any of that shit anymore. You know what that's, I mean? That's it's, gone. Yeah, it's like, but I, I don't think that ever happened. I think like now we we see that the grunge movement defined the '90s, and yeah. we can sort of pinpoint Nevermind as the moment. I don't know how many people actually were in the theater for Star Wars. And we're like, well, this is going to be the biggest thing that that has ever been created by this system. Who knows? You know, I Who don't knows? know. Maybe, Who knows? maybe. But I'm feeling that way about Saul and Breaking Bad right now. It's pretty good. It's yeah. like the Godfather, Godfather <laughs> two of our generation, in many ways. I'd agree with that. Yeah. In terms of television, hell, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. All right. Uh, see you next week. Until then, uh, I got nothing. Have a good day, you fuckers. <laughs> okay. <laughs>